This is a Rooster Teeth production. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this supplemental episode of Black Box Down. We are going to be taking a little time today to uh, talk about airplane stories and travel stories that Chris and I have encountered in the past. And uh, for this episode, we have a special guest joining us, longtime co-worker, longtime very good friend, Mr. Jeff Ramsey. So let's sit back and listen in as uh, we talk about the old days on this uh, supplemental episode of Black Box Down. Hello, everyone. Welcome. Uh, it, like I said, it's Gus and Chris and Jeff. Hello, Chris and Jeff. Hello. Hello, Gus. How are you? Also, Chris. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> so Black Box Down is an interesting podcast uh, because the audience for this show is the most separate from any other show that we do. So like peeling back the curtain a little bit, Black Box Down is a production uh, made by a company here in Austin called Rooster Teeth Productions. And Black Box Down's audience isn't necessarily a Rooster Teeth audience. I say that to set up the fact that obviously, you know, Chris and I are, are, are work together. We make this podcast together. But I say that to set up the fact that Jeff and I are two of the founders of Rooster Teeth. And we've known each other for about 20, over 20 years at this point. 20, like 25 years or something. Yeah. yeah. And uh, we started Rooster Teeth um, 19 years ago together. So Jeff and I have traveled a lot together in the past. Jeff probably has traveled as much as I have <laughs> over over all the years. <laughs> Uh, and on top of that, Jeff was in uh, the army for several years as well. So you you probably do have me beat. Not only have we traveled probably a, a commiserate amount over the last 19 years, I've probably traveled with you to this date more than anybody else in my life. Mm, yeah, yeah, that's uh, huh. that, I, I would say that's definitely true. Some of my first international trips, you know, of course, outside of Mexico, uh, were with Jeff uh, going overseas for the first time. Some of my first international trips, including Mexico, were with Gus, actually. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, we've, we've, we've definitely seen a lot uh, over the past couple of decades. And so I was thinking, you know, we're in this episode, we're going to talk about travel stories and plane stories uh, that we've experienced because we've, we, you know, all three of us, not, I don't want to diminish Chris. Sorry, Chris, you're always here. That's why I'm not talking yeah, about yeah, you yeah. as much. They know. I don't wanna... <laughs> that, should, that should be your tagline for life. Chris Damaris, he's always here. <laughs> <laughs> but it got me thinking, you know, when we were going to be doing this episode about travel stories, it got me thinking back to like being young and never having traveled and traveling for the first time. Yeah. And, you know, like, I don't know what you all's experiences were, but, you know, I grew up in a really small town, isolated out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, supposedly, I like, my parents took me on a flight to Colorado when I was a baby. Obviously, uh -huh. I don't remember that. But the first flight I do remember, I was a teenager. I was 14 years old. And it was like a, a school trip during spring break. It's like the kind of thing where you raise money all year. Then if you raise enough uh -huh. money, you get to go on, on this trip. And uh, we were going to Washington, D.C. So we were flying from San Antonio to Washington, D.C. But of course, like I was a kid. I don't really remember. I didn't pay attention to the plane. I think it was a continental flight. I don't remember exactly. But one thing that does stick out in my mind, like one thing that really strikes me, because it's 30 years ago now, about what a different world we live in now, this is going to be an airport story, is going to the San Antonio airport, which I thought was like <laughs> the center of the universe at the time. Like, <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know, yeah, there's, they had, San Antonio. Yeah, wow. They, they've got planes here. Um, they had pay phones, which in and of itself is shocking, but... They had something I'd never seen. I remember specifically to this day, uh, I remember from this trip, I was walking through the San Antonio airport and they had specialized pay phones that had like small displays in them. So you could like use this special phone and pay like $4.95 or something to see the weather 
wherever you were going. And it was like this small little four inch screen on the payphone. And I was like, that's the future. That's the coolest thing I've ever seen. Like we're flying to Washington, D.C. I could pick up that that phone, pay five dollars <laughs> and find out what the weather's going to be like in Washington, D.C. So I did. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's just like whatever the temperature was going to be, the chance, like very, very basic, right? Like nothing fancy. Just text? Well, like it spoke to you and then the oh. screen showed you like the weather map like you would see on TV, you know, with like a front boundary and like temperature and stuff like that. What were the graphics like? Don't remember what the graphics were like specifically. I think it was like 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 what you would see on TV back in the early 90s, just like, you know, what the weatherman would stand in front of in uh, on a green screen, but just like on a tiny little four inch screen on the payphone. And the only reason I really remember this, well, one, it was I thought it was really cool at the time. Two. I got in a lot of trouble for spending five bucks to look at <laughs> the weather. Well, <laughs> my, parents, my parents were not happy about me spending that five bucks to look up the weather. How did they know? How did they find out? Because it was like you had to use a like a calling. I think it was a calling oh. card that I used, and it was like it was tied to their account. And so when they got you know when they got the bill, they saw it and they were like, "What's this?" I was like, "Oh right, I used the weather thing in the San Antonio airport." You know what you should have done in that moment uh, if you'd been a little more entrepreneurial is you could have sold that weather report to other travelers for fifty cents. You <laughs> could have just walked around and be like, "Want to know what the weather's like in DC?" Fifty cents, Gus will tell you. I spent five dollars, so you don't have to. <laughs> But uh, it's just one of those really like antiquated things. I can't imagine that now, you know, now with smartphones and just like the proliferation of data, like you could look that up in two seconds and it doesn't cost you anything extra than what you already paid. So let me ask you a question because I, I, I have a, it's a very different phone memory, but I have a memory of phones at the airport from my youth as well. Um, what, what year would this have been? This would have been 1992. So 30, it would have been like March of 92. So almost 30 years exactly. Okay. And then, uh, so uh, I guess my larger question is, did it look like a regular phone booth or like, what was the presentation? You know how, you know, back then, if you went to an airport or a public place, like obviously phone booths were an option, but there were also like those little cubbies, like you, there would be like Mm. a bank of phones with like Mm -hmm. little dividers between Mm -hmm, them. mm -hmm. Uh, it was like that. And they were like, I want to say like five or six of these phones lined up. Were there a lot of people in <laughs> using? There was it? nobody using them for some <laughs> reason. I was the only person. So that that's a fascinating window into a a brief period of technology where those things. Uh, I assume some company came up with this technology and and sold a bunch of airports on it. I de- I doubt it lived anywhere else outside of mass transit. Like maybe at some train stations in New York or Chicago. Yeah. And then for you know a period of time, let's say ten years. That is a piece of technology that exists in an airport. I wonder, like, the decision-making process between, like, we're losing money on this space, nobody's using this, let's get rid of it, send it to the dustbin of history. Like, is there a is there a bad 80s, 90s phone technology graveyard out in the desert in New Mexico <laughs> or Arizona where these things just are piled up? There's got to be, right? Or, like, yeah. they've been filled, you know, they're in a landfill or collecting this let, let, let me tell you something i've I, I googled like crazy trying to find an image of this phone and it took me a long time to find it and i finally found it it was called the at&t public phone 2000 uh, <laughs> that sounds like a conan o'brien sketch <laughs> it, it debuted in 1991 so it was probably out for like a year by the time i saw it we'll put an image of this if you follow us on social media at black box down pod on instagram twitter facebook 
uh, I'll post a, an image of what these things look like. Uh, it's comical. It's uh, it's 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 probably even worse than what you imagine in your head. They put the exact same thought process into naming that phone as I did for my AIM screen name, which was <laughs> which was Chris SD two thousand, which I made ira- <laughs> which I made in like. Must have been like ninety five or something. Well, you're just getting ahead of the curve. Yeah, yeah. I was like, two thousand is going to be crazy. It's I'll, a I, I'll already have parked my name. <laughs> but it, it really makes me wonder, like, you know, to, to Jeff's point, like, I wonder how many of these they made. Like, someone was like, "Yes, we are all yeah. in on the AT and T public phone two thousand. Um, this is the future." I mean, it's a niche industry that, like, that like uh, dominated some, uh, uh, certainly a few people's lives. You know, trying to get this pro- get this phone created, figure out the technology, sell it around the world, and then maintain it, and then I assume watch it all go away overnight, un- unceremoniously. You know, I think I, I they had some old commercials I've seen where it's like, in the future, you'll be able to take a fax from the beach. You yeah. know? And it's like <laughs> it's like, well, it's close. I mean, you can do stuff from the beach. But you're not getting faxes. No, yeah, like they, they, like they had the general idea down. It just wasn't they they, they didn't understand where technology was actually going to go or the new things that would exist and and supersede all of that. Yeah. I'm I'm jealous you found a photo of it because I have a memory of a phone. I don't know what to call it machine. I guess uh, at the airport from when I was a kid, and I've been searching most of my adult life to find some sort of visual proof that it existed, and I can't. I've looked many times, but when I was, I I, I don't remember the first time I flew. Uh, I don't remember the first probably couple times I flew. But what I do remember is that I loved going to the airport when I was a little kid, and this would have been probably in Oregon and Florida. Because they had this like kiosk set up at certain points throughout the airport, and it was like this molded plastic kind of circular structure that looked kind of like uh one was like a kind of like a castle on a on like gray mountains, and the other one was more fairy taleish, kind of like a in my head it was like sort of a you know German Tudor style building. And uh, you would go up to it, and there were like four phones you could pick up, and you'd pay a quarter. So there's like one in each quadrant. And then you could listen to the phone, and for like 45 seconds, it would tell you a story. It was like a nursery rhyme. What? Oh. Yeah. And so when I was a little kid, I was obsessed with that thing because it like, it looked cool, and I could walk up to it, and I'd put a quarter in, and then some really nice lady would tell me about Humpty Dumpty or about, you know, the old lady in the shoe. I assume it was a pre-recorded story. It wasn't yeah, someone... it was totally pre-recorded. Okay. <laughs> it, was totally, it, was, it was just playing like a 45-second clip, and it's, it's an utter waste of money. But the presentation was such that it was magical to me. It was like this magical story machine 2000. that would tell me story. <laughs> 2000. This was probably 83 or 84, I'm guessing. And because uh, I was pretty young and I have thought about those things. And like, as you get older in life, you know, you think about like, you know, like some people are like, I want to finally buy that pinball machine. I, I loved at the pizza place when I was a kid. I would love to buy one of those things and put it in. I don't have a garage. I'd love to buy a house that has a garage and then find <laughs> and buy one of those things and put it in my garage. It would give me the warmest feeling, but I can't even find a record they existed. Well, if, uh, we'll put the challenge out to our, our listeners. If anybody <laughs> listening to this podcast knows what Jeff is talking about, send us a message on social media. Uh, let us know. Uh, help Jeff achieve his lifelong dream. <laughs> I'm just imagining you, Jeff, in bed, like on, on, like an old man, and it's like your, your rosebud. Is your, oh, like, yeah. Story time, telephone <laughs> 2000. <laughs> <laughs> 
it's weird the stuff that sticks with you your whole life i i i honestly probably think about that thing once a month still to this day <laughs> i don't know why it, it won't leave me that's uh yeah that's so I've, i never saw anything like that so I, I wish i wish i could help you jeff i just get i just need to find i just if anybody has directions to the fo- the bad phone technology graveyard in the desert and could send us the gps coordinates i could go find it myself <laughs> it'll be next to the uh what was it the at&t public phone 2000 <laughs> exactly <laughs> they'll be telling stories of the good old days well and gus didn't someone send in one of those phones that was in the planes that had uh yeah it's it's actually right here next to me on my desk. <laughs> it's uh, the old uh, like air phones, I believe was what they called them, where it was like a public phone in a plane that you could you could use to talk to people on the ground. We talked about that in a supplemental episode. Um, yeah. I think I was talking about Die Hard 2. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, someone, uh, a listener, uh, uh, sent it to me. Uh, I believe his name was Jason, if I recall properly. I believe his father uh, worked on those systems back when they were in airplanes and uh he was very kind to uh to send me one jason <laughs> if you got any story times <laughs> let us know but um uh, kind of getting uh back on track to uh aviation and uh, flying I, w- I was trying to think of of stories that you know we've, we've been through in the past and, and things that we've encountered that would be interesting to talk about and i went through a very brief period where uh, I don't think I ever did this with you, Jeff or Chris, where I thought it would be really funny to like the technology of laptops was taking off and sorry, no pun intended. Like it was really advancing to the point where you could play games on laptops. And I thought it would be funny to on the ground, start a game of like mm-hmm. Microsoft Flight Simulator and then like pause it right at the moment where we would be at like 10,000 feet, then take the laptop with me on a flight. And then open it up and then like fly the exact same flight we were on. So like, well, I think I did it like flying Austin to LA. I started flying in game Austin to LA, closed my laptop, got on a plane, then opened up the laptop, took my joystick with me and then started flying the exact same flight <laughs> we were on from Austin to LA. And I remember like people looking at me like I was the biggest weirdo in the world. <laughs> like just sitting there with my laptop and my joystick flying the exact same flight that we were on and being like, shh, don't talk to me. I, I got to concentrate on this. <laughs> I got to like, land this plane. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, you're a pretty big weirdo. I am. <laughs> That's true. If, if like there was an issue, like one of those movie incidents where like everyone on the plane gets taken out of commission and you're like, can anyone fly a plane? And you're like, I'm already doing it. <laughs> <laughs> Patch me through. <laughs> I mean, this, is, this is essentially like the new version of airplane, right? You just like, just, hook, yeah. just connect this to the, connect this to the dashboard with a USB yeah. and I'll take over. Do you have USB C? No. Oh no. We're doomed. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I'm I, I, like you said. I'm a bit of a weirdo, but uh, so that's totally my kind of thing. Yeah, it's very, it's very in the vein of Gus. I would say, like, oh, if yeah. if somebody told me that story and then said put a name to it out of everybody <laughs> I know, you would there wouldn't be a second person on the list. It would only be you. Yeah, absolutely. Everyone wants a beautiful lawn without all those harsh chemicals. Uh, this year, I'm using Sunday. It's made with ingredients that you can actually pronounce like seaweed, iron, and molasses. And the best part is that it actually works. Your yard is your personal oasis, and it deserves the best. Sunday helps you grow a beautiful lawn, control pests, and fight weeds without the toxic stuff. Sunday's custom lawn care is effective and super easy. Just go to GetSunday.com, put in your address, and their lawn analysis tool does the rest. They use soil and climate data to create a personal nutrient plan, deliver it to your door right when you need it. Sunday's lawn care products are made with your family in mind. That's why they use ingredients you can feel good about, like seaweed, iron, molasses. The best part is that it really works. 
Sunday is offering our listeners 20% off. Full season plans start at just $129, and you can get 20% off when you visit getsunday.com slash blackboxdown at checkout. That's 20% off your custom plan at getsunday.com slash blackboxdown. Uh, go check it out. Are you earning credit card rewards? Credit Karma can help you compare your rewards options so you can finally find a card that fits your lifestyle, helping you earn miles or cash back for spending you're going to do anyway. Credit Karma uses your credit profile to show you offers that are tailored to your financial situation. Credit Karma partners with a wide range of card issuers so you can be sure you are exploring all sorts of options. Best of all, Credit Karma uses your credit data to show you your chances of approval before you even apply, helping you apply with even more confidence. Comparing cards on Credit Karma is 100% free, won't affect your credit score. So are you ready to find the card for you? Head over to Credit Karma, check your personalized mix of offers today. Go to creditkarma.com or the Credit Karma app to find the card for you. Again, that's creditkarma.com. I mean, you're going to be spending the money. You may as well find the best rewards, whatever that is for you. For me, airline miles. Kind of fitting for this podcast, right? Go to creditkarma.com. Check it out. Uh, Credit Karma, create your own karma. You're about to hear a preview of The Jordan Harbinger Show with Pickpocket King Bob Arno. Pickpockets don't talk. They lift and do everything silent. I have spent 20, 30 years befriending or getting very, very close into how they work. And some of them are very charming, by the way, and that goes with the territory. There's a very good smile and like a ping pong, very quickly, boom, 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 back and forth. There's nothing slow. The thieves picks it, but pickpocket never holds. So he passes it on to a partner. So if the police catches him, Two seconds after, he's clean. There's nothing on him. There was none of this usual pickpocketing. The elegance was unbelievable. I had to look at it at least 10 times before I could see what the hell did I see. To learn pickpocket tricks of the trade and how to protect yourself against thieves, pickpockets, and scam artists, check out episode 530 of The Jordan Harbinger Show. Have you ever told the story of you and I in South Carolina? No, I never have. That's actually a really good story to tell. You probably remember it better than I, if if you want to tell it, but I, I can certainly attempt. Yeah, well, we had flown, you know, we've been to a lot of events that we go to for, you know, for Rooster Teeth. And we had gone to this event. I believe a friend of yours was uh, organizing it out in South Carolina. All I remember is it was an old friend from my military days. And I don't remember where we went necessarily or why or how many people were there or if it was a showing or a Q&A. Or wh- I don't remember anything about the event other than leaving. It was Yeah, it was there at Columbia, <laughs> South Carolina. I do, rem- I do remember something. I learned something interesting uh, about South Carolina on that trip. This is a little tangent. Mm-hmm. Liquor stores in South Carolina have big orange. <laughs> circles on them that's true they have the dots yeah you can tell a store that sells liquor in south carolina because has a giant orange dot on it so that if you don't know how to read you can still find liquor yeah <laughs> this is this was in the 90s chris and I, I lived in columbia for a little bit i went to I briefly went to the university of south carolina so i it was one of the first things i found out is that illiteracy was such a was still such a thing in the 90s is that they put these dots on liquor stores so that people that couldn't read could find uh, at least that was the totally plausible explained uh, reason, uh, urban legend, if you will, that I heard over and over and over again while I was there that seemed completely accurate. Well, we're going to perpetuate that just a little longer. Okay. We, you know, we had, got, we had done this event and, you know, I don't remember why. I think after the event, we'd gone out, we'd been uh, drinking. We pretty much like, we did that thing where you stay up all night and yeah. 
you know, get to, if we had an early flight to come back to Austin, mm-hmm. was that, it was that dumb thing you do when you're young where you're like, oh, well, we don't have to sleep. We can just sleep on the plane on the way back. Uh-huh. We'll be in our 20s forever. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. So, you know, we get to the airport in uh, Columbia, get on the plane. And if I remember right, I think Jeff was on the window seat and I was in the middle. <laughs> yeah, that's how I remember it as well. And uh, so we sit down and we're exhausted. You know, we haven't slept all day or all night. Uh, we both sit down. And, you know, you, you know, the people are still getting on the plane. People are still boarding. And as this is happening, as you do, you look out the window. Mm-hmm. The, wi- <laughs> the wing of the plane. Well, two things I remember struck me about this wing of the plane. <laughs> One, it was covered in tape, which was terrifying at the oh, time. Yeah. I've since learned, not a big deal. That's fine. Covered in tape. Yeah, it was it was more tape than metal. Yeah. The second thing was it was also covered in oil or some kind of fluid. It was a black bubbling liquid that was coming out of the seams of the wing around the tape. Oh, my God. It looked like the tape was trying to contain the liquid, kind of. Was it? <laughs> I don't know. We, we were both so tired and exhausted and hungover that I think we looked at it, looked at each other, and then just closed the window shade and tried to close our eyes <laughs> yeah. and go to sleep. It was like, we, we can't deal with that right now. What I remember is I looked at Gus and I said, listen, if this plane goes down because of this wing and we have like 45 seconds to live, I don't want you admitting any terrible secrets to me. I don't want you professing <laughs> your love to me. I don't want me telling, you, telling me your greatest regret. It just take it to the grave. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> I, I've, I've heard some uh, plane mechanics joke that, you know, if on a plane, if a system is leaking fluid on the bright side, it means that there's fluid in the system. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, that, that can give you a little bit of solace if you ever get on a plane and you see a leak. Is tape that like what kind of tape is this? So it looks, if you look at it, and at the uh-huh. time I didn't know uh, as much as I know now, it looks like duct tape. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But in reality, it's a very specialized tape. They call it speed tape. And it can be used for a number of reasons. Nowadays, you'll actually see on uh, modern planes, you'll see speed tape quite often on the wing to try to cover paint loss. Oh. Modern planes have a lot of composite materials in the wings, and they flex a lot in flight, which makes it difficult for them to be painted and for paint to adhere to it. So lots of times, you'll, if you see speed tape on a wing of like a 787, it's probably the most common time you'll see it. Mm-hmm. It's uh, not a big deal at all. It's just because the paint's starting to come off and they're trying to stop, you know, any kind of corrosion or any type of damage to the wing. Totally normal. Totally fine. You see it all the time. I wonder if that's the same as in the Army, they use something, uh, they don't call it speed tape. They call it 100 mile an hour tape. I wonder if it's essentially the same thing, because that's what we fix like helicopters with in the Army, 100 mile an hour tape. Uh, so uh, apparently 100 mile an hour tape is duct tape. Oh, there you <laughs> oh, go. <no>. <laughs> <laughs> At least that's that's according to the military.com article that I'm reading right now from uh, 2006. Oh, uh, yeah. No, I'm reading it on Urban Dictionary. Yeah, it's just straight up duct tape. Maybe that's th- they named it so that people would feel better about Probably. using it to fix airplanes and, and helicopters. Uh, oh, yeah, I, it, so, it sounds much more uh, reassuring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Throughout the history of the military, supply was always an issue. And in the event that GIs didn't have the proper tools to fix something, they would use duct tape. As a fix-all, duct tape was so effective, it was said that it could hold a Jeep together traveling at 100 miles an hour, hence the Army name 100-mile-an-hour tape. Ah, thanks, guys. You taught me something today. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what, this, that's what this podcast is here for. It's all about learning. A few years ago, I went to a friend's wedding down in Mexico. What part of Mexico? It was in uh, Monterey, which okay. is you know not too far away. Are you talking about? Are you talking about Brandon's? Yeah. Okay. I took the bus on that. 
<laughs> you took the bus. Well, I, before the wedding, I had been out of town uh, for a work trip. I was in San Francisco before the wedding, like the day before the wedding. So I had to fly from San Francisco down to Mexico okay. to go to the, the wedding. And I remember this was an, an I, uh, this was not that long ago. This is maybe, God, how long ago? Eight, seven or eight years ago now? 2015. Okay. Yeah. Six or seven years ago now. And I got on this plane in uh, San Francisco and uh, a bunch of people were getting on and there was, you know, before the, the plane takes off, you know, the flight attendants have to come by and they talk to you if you're in the exit row and, you know, they, they give you the question, in the event of an emergency, are you willing and able to assist? You know, you mm-hmm. say yes. And as the flight attendant is doing the spiel to the people in the exit row, like one woman is just staring at her and not responding. And the flight attendant asks her again and the woman says nothing. And uh, then the woman like says something in Spanish, like you know, but she doesn't speak English. The flight attendant says, you know, turns around and is like, well, can anyone speak Spanish? And uh, this one guy stands up and I don't know why he said it this way. He goes, I'm a doctor. Yes, I can speak Spanish. I was like, I mean, okay, it's a, a little irrelevant, but okay. He's a language doctor. <laughs> and he goes up and in like the worst Spanish I've ever heard, he tries to like translate for the flight attendant and I speak Spanish, right? So I'm like, I've got like my head in my hands. I'm, I'm like, I'm not in the same row. I'm like across the aisle and uh-huh. back a couple of rows, but I can still hear them. And I'm like, oh my God, this is awful. And of course, his Spanish is so bad that the woman still doesn't understand this this doctor either. And she's just looking at him all puzzled. And then the doctor turns to a flight attendant and says, yeah, she doesn't understand anything. Uh, my friend, who's also a doctor, is sitting right over here. If you want, he can come up here and sit in the exit row instead of her and they can trade places. And uh, like I, as I'm watching them, there's a man seated behind the woman in the row behind the woman and his head is just in his hands and he's just like i can tell that this whole situation is infuriating him uh-huh. and he's like doing that thing where his hands are going up to his hair and it looks like he's pulling on his hair <laughs> <laughs> and then like the, the the flight attendant like looks at the at the doctor and then looks at the other man in the in the row and is like if you could tell she's like contemplating like should i switch this and then the man whose head is in his hands like stands up and then of course in perfect Spanish and English begins the translation process. And you know, talks to the woman, talks to the flight attendant, and then like everything's fine. Then he just like glares at the doctor. <laughs> and the doctor just like like looks down and goes back to his seat and sits down. It's like it seemed like the most transparent ploy to get his friend into an exit row seat that I'd ever seen before. <laughs> that being said, I don't know if that woman should have stayed. I think you have to be able to speak and understand instructions in English to sit in the exit row in the United States, I think. Hmm. But I remember like being a lot more like wary of those rules when I was, when I was younger and when I first started traveling, like, oh, like this, this is a huge responsibility <laughs> to, to be able to sit there. So yeah, you have to be at least 15. Uh-huh. You have to have sufficient mobility, strength, and dexterity in both arms, hands, and legs to assist in evacuation. Uh, you have to be able to hear and see well enough to help during an evacuation. Most important, you must understand the crew's instructions and be able to follow them. So it doesn't necessarily say you have to be able to speak English, but you have to understand crew instructions. So mm. might have been a little bit of a gray area there uh, yeah. since she couldn't you know, understand what the flight attendant was saying. I remember the first time I sat in an exit row. I was like, cool, big, lots of space. This is awesome. And then they came and they start telling me all the instructions and I got super nervous. I was like, what? I didn't know I was like, just like, what if something does happen? And just like freaking out because it felt like a big deal. You know, mm-hmm. now you, you, I'm sure you don't even give it a second thought. You're like, yeah, no, yeah, whatever. yeah, yeah. It's like I can open the door. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever seen? Have you ever seen anybody go? Uh, no, I'm not ready for this responsibility, and ask and like accept a move. I don't think so. I'm trying to think Mm-mm. back. 
I think you know everyone really wants those seats. I don't think I've ever, ever ever seen anyone fess up to not being able to to handle the responsibility. In my head, I had I was just sitting here trying to remember the particulars of it so I could share the story with you, and then I realized I was remembering an episode of King of the Hill <laughs> that's where a- Hank made Bobby move, and I thought, yeah. That- <laughs> That's a great joke, but yeah, that's the, oh, that's the only time I can I can think of uh, having seen that is King of the Hill. Yeah. What is the worst thing you've left at the airport? Ugh. One time I was getting off a plane, and uh-huh. I have you know those I have some AirPods Max that I use, like the big expensive ones from Apple. Yeah. And I left them in the seat back pocket where I was sitting, and I started walking off the plane. But uh, luckily, the person who was sitting next to me like flagged me. It was like, "Hey, you left your headphones." It's like, "Oh my god, those things are, <laughs> are so expensive. I would have, I would have been beating myself up if I'd forgotten those." But I didn't. I did not actually leave the plane. I was one time. Uh, I was traveling with my uh, buddy Zach Anner, and we were tra- He was doing. We were some like speaking thing, and I was just going along for the ride. We landed where we were staying, and I think we were waiting for his bag, and it was late at night. And we decided, we came up with this game, which was like trying to see whose carry-on bag could roll the furthest down the airport. So we were like, like, like not even in the baggage area, like the terminal carpeted walkway kind of space. Uh, just like where where the baggage where you pick up your bags from. Okay, you know, they come down. There's like there was no one at the airport too. It was late, and we we're just like, I was like, oh, when, you know, we we're testing the wheels of each of our. It's stupid. Testing sure. which wheels could glide the best. And we were like trying to see, oh, wow, look how far that one went that time. We were, stupid game. We were so caught up in that that whenever uh, the bag arrived, or maybe we were waiting for a ride, I can't remember, uh, got up and got in the car and made it to the hotel. And I realized my backpack with all of my camera equipment and our laptops and everything was just sitting at the airport. Oh, no. And I was like, the stupid wheel game ruined. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, it's the game's fault, Chris. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that's where I was like, and we were so we were having so much fun pushing our bags to see how much, see which one could go the furthest. And I took an Uber back to the airport, but it had closed, and I could oh, look no. in and see my bag sitting on the ground. And I was like, what do I do? So I went back to the hotel and then set an alarm for whenever the airport would wake up and then do, 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 do the airport would wake up. That's a good way of putting it. Uh, do you mind <laughs> me asking uh, what airport was this? Oh, I don't even, it was a tiny, it was not a big airport. It was some okay. random small, you know, city. Sure. And I set an alarm and I took another ride back to the airport and like, it was just still sitting there. Like, cause we were probably some of the last people in the airport. And was, I was definitely one of the first people in. So you got back before the airport yeah. woke up yeah, and you, made sure you were like one of, one of the first people in. Yeah. I got my bag back. When you were a kid, uh-huh. did you have the impression that if you left, it let if a bag left your sight, the airport would grab it and blow it up? Like the bomb? Yeah. Cl- yeah I always thought like if you walk away from a bag that within an hour, like Tommy Lee Jones is going to be there in his bomb suit, like ready to explode it. That's the exact well, follow up. I was going to ask Chris, like, why did they not <laughs> dispose of this bag? I don't know. It, it, <laughs> see, I always thought it wasn't so much that the airport was going to come and blow up that someone was going to come and put a bomb in it immediately. Oh, yeah. Like, like <laughs> that, too. Like, like there's, <laughs> there's people at the airport who have snuck bombs through security just who waiting. are just waiting for some teenager <laughs> to go to the bathroom so they can sneak the bomb onto... Yeah, no. I've, I've also had those thoughts. Yeah. I remember... So you got your bag back. Oh, I got the bag back. Yeah. 
I remember watching like an episode, I think it was like 2020 or something like back in the 90s, you know, mm-hmm. before September 11th, where they, you know, did like one of those hidden camera stunts where they have an actor with a box at an airport. Because remember, this is bef- back when you could go up to the gate if you didn't have a boarding pass or anything. Mm-hmm. And in this particular episode of 2020, they had an actor with like this box uh, and he was going up to strangers asking if they could take the box with them on their flight uh, oh for him because he needed like to send this box to his cousin in whatever city <laughs> they were going to. And like the whole episode was about how many people said, yeah, sure, I'll take the box. Oh, man. And about how dangerous and, and scary that was. I bet that's like the Spanish prisoner. I bet a lot of people said yes. Yeah. It was like no big deal. Like, oh, yeah, sure. That's not a problem here. I'll take your box. It's like it's crazy. I did it recently um, and I've done it way worse. But just recently I was coming back from uh, somewhere overseas. I don't remember. Maybe England. And I was in DFW with my girlfriend and you know how you you take the tram like you take the escalator up to get on the tram to go like over yeah. to a different gate. So I like come in at like D gate or whatever the international date gate is. We're going to like E. It's like five stops away. And so we were up in that upstairs portion, and it only takes like a minute for the um for the tram to show up. But for some reason, my girlfriend wanted to sit down. She was tired; it had been a long trip. And so I went and I sat down next to her in these little benches, uh, waiting for the train. And then the train shows up, and we hop, we run up, we hop on, we take the five stops over to E or wherever it was. I get off and realize I don't have my backpack, and then oh, it hits no. me that I left it five stops oh. back. And so I have to get on the train and I take the five stops back and it was there just fine. Like not, not a soul in the world had even noticed it. And you realize like th- there's nobody looking for these bags. They're, they they could have sat there for a week and nobody would have paid attention, I think. Um, way worse was on a trip. I don't I think you had left earlier, but I was Gus. It was it was one of our conventions we did in San Jose, probably in the late like in the, like 2008, 2000, somewhere around there, 2007, 2008. We would, you know, go across the country for the day job and we would, uh, you know, spend a weekend at a convention center selling DVDs for our cartoons and, and meeting community members and whatnot. And we would always have a bundle of cash to bring home with us. Mm-hmm. And I had about $7,000 on me, uh, about 7500 bucks. I remember it was a it was kind of an OK con. And I had we, I don't know if you remember this. We had this black lockbox. And, yeah. and, I, and I use the word lock lightly because we bought it from Office Max. You could it, it was like seventeen bucks or yeah, something. You could breathe on the lock and it would open. Uh, and it was full of like red versus blue stickers all over it. And I was, I think it was a U.S. Airways flight, so it was before U.S. Airways went under. I remember that. And I was, uh, I was sitting there waiting for the f- waiting to get out of there. It was probably a red eye because we were trying. To, it was like a Sunday night. You know, you get out of the convention, you get everything uh, like ready to ship, and then you go straight to the airport. And so I was sitting in the San Jose airport with this lockbox and all my bags. And it's time to get on the plane. I get up, I get on the plane, I sit down. I'm uh, in the exit row uh, actually, and I've got too much space. And I remember thinking like. Something's weird. Something, you know, you know, you're like, like this is too convenient. Like something seems yeah. off to me. And then I realized I don't have the lockbox. Oh. oh no! And I have to, I like jump up and I have to run through the people, the plane. You know, I was like, I don't know, number like group two or whatever to get on the uh-huh. plane. So 90% of the plane is still getting on. And I'm like fighting through people. And they're like, sir, you have to wait. And I'm like, no, no, I can't wait. And I like, you're like fighting a salmon, past. You're like a salmon swimming upstream. Uh, yeah, I am a salmon swimming up an angry, angry stream, by the way. People are not happy about it. And to get out, and I run back into the into the terminal, and there is that lockbox just sitting there waiting for me with all the cash in the world just oh, man. completely. And I'm just like, I'm I, there's like a two-minute window from when I realized 
I get to that I'm thinking like, all right, I'm going to lose my job. Like Bernie's going to fire me. Uh, <laughs> can I can I can I come up with seven thousand dollars on my own and put it in the <laughs> lockbox and they'll never be wiser? What do I have to do? I have to sell my car, you know, trying to figure out how to survive this catastrophe. And then I then you get there and you realize, oh, nobody cares. Yeah. We, you, you said something in that story that reminded me uh, of another story that I think you and I both experienced, Jeff. Okay. There was a period of time in the early 2000s where we hated that San Jose airport. Oh, my God. I don't know if you remember this. I, I, I don't know if it was construction that was going on I, at that I airport. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, or what was happening. But the security lines at the San Jose airport would become the longest lines I'd ever seen. I think here in Austin, recently we've had, there's been some troubles at the airport and the security lines here have been long. And it makes me think of back in the early 2000s at the San Jose airport. And I remember one time we were flying, I believe we were flying from Seattle to Austin. And for some reason we had to connect in San Jose. Yes. And it was a different airline. So that means we had to leave security and then go back through security to get to our connecting flight. There wasn't a ton of time. And, you know, we leave security we go to get in the new security line to get to our connecting flight. And the security line is so long, it goes out of the terminal, across the street, into the parking garage. Oh, my. Chris, he is not kidding. It's like, you know, there's like the 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 walkway, the glass uh-huh. walkway that you go to the parking garage. Like the line goes through that walkway and then deep into the parking lot. So we get to the end of the line and we're standing in this parking garage. And uh, this, I believe it was like a woman and her mother, like... Two women, one, you know, one of them is, uh, was probably our age and the other one, you know, was, was a little older, her mother. They get in line behind us uh-huh. and the woman who's like our age looks around and points at her car and says, mom, that's our car. <laughs> like yeah. oh. they had parked, gone inside to check in, then come back to get in line for security and they were standing right by their car. They were, they bu- they were behind wow. their car a little bit, actually. <laughs> that's like that office space scene where it's like the, the older woman in the, in the, uh, the little like walker who's going faster than the car. Yeah. You got us through that mess, by the way. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, I, re- I remember. I was like, hold on, I'll see what I can do. <laughs> and, uh, and like, if you, fl- we, we, we have flown a lot. And if you uh-huh. had a certain amount of status, you could get like an accelerated line or, you know, you could kind of cut the line. This is back before pre check and clear uh-huh. and all of that stuff. Yeah, it was way before that. And, uh, yeah, so like, I, I found a faster line. I still had to like kind of sweet talk it through because we had a lot, there were more of us than I could normally bring through. Uh, but I managed to get us um, cut through because we would not have made our connecting flight if I hadn't gone up and tried to finagle it. I think we had figured it out and we were like guaranteed to spend the night in San Jose. And it was like two in the afternoon or something ludicrous. Like it wasn't yeah. late, uh, but there was nothing else. And they were having this crazy traffic for whatever reason. And it was like, if we don't make this flight, we're we're going to be in San Jose for 24 hours. Just waste, wasting our lives. Awful. Have you all ever had to check anything unusual as baggage when you fly? Um, I remember whenever we, uh, me and Carrie went to New Zealand to film the, uh, that documentary, we yeah. had so much camera equipment and we basically had a bag of batteries. <laughs> oh God. That sounds awful. Yeah. Because we, we were going to be, you know, hiking across New Zealand for a week and we didn't know if we were going to be able to charge anything, um, ever. And we were, you know, filming a documentary. <laughs> so we had bought so many extra batteries and charge them all and then also double a's for you know mics and just so we had a bag more of, batteries yeah we just had a bag of batteries and they would go through security and they're like what's in this bag and like, batteries that's all battery you know and it's just like it, we got stopped at every 
security checkpoint because we we also went to Australia on that trip and every time I was like well here we go again that's wild yeah. that seems super dangerous I, yeah I mean I don't know I mean we needed a lot of batteries did you guys run out of batteries or had you appropriately packed we probably would have ran out still but we were able to get uh converters our, exist yeah yeah well and our friend um well, it was just the it was just we were gonna be out in the out in the wilderness yeah, yeah. So we didn't but uh the our friend Nick who was uh helping us shoot it, his family would was able to come by and pick up the, some batteries and then charge them and then drop them off to us. Oh, that's nice. That's yeah. very cool. Speaking of Australia, we used to take, you know, we used to do, talking about the day job again, uh, a convention every year in Australia and uh, in Sydney. And the last year we did it, um, this is back when I was, this is right, right around the time I quit drinking, right before I quit drinking. And probably one of the reasons. Uh, but I was, we, we took the flight, like half the company flew from Austin to LA and then, uh, from LAX to Sydney. And we, uh, I remember we get off the plane in LAX and we have like an hour and a half layover. So we go, and I was drinking on the plane, uh, pretty heavily. And then we go to the Admirals Club and we're all hanging out like 25 of us. We're just sitting there drinking and drinking again. And then I go to get on the plane in Austin. Uh, to go to Australia and realize mm -hmm. I left all my bags in the overhead compartment oh. on the flight from Austin to LA. And that was it. They were gone. I went to LA oh. without bags, landed, um, went, took a shower at the hotel and then went and bought new clothes. And I never mm -hmm. saw any of that stuff again. I put, I filed a lost claims ticket and every, it was just, just an entire, it was everything I owned for two weeks for Australia. Oh. It was just gone. Wow. My God. Yeah. My That's fault. So stupid. Awful. Yeah. This isn't as bad, but, I once left my pants on a plane. <laughs> that's that's very on brand for Chris. Uh, it was a long flight, and I I had like I, I'd been traveling, and I had so I was wearing jeans. But then an overnight flight, I I would bring like some like pajama pants, you know, to change into so I could sleep. And I had also been drinking because it's an international flight, and ended up like drinking with uh, someone I met on the plane. And at some point, I changed in my pants, my sleepy pants, and I have I got off that plane because I had like passed out, and I just like ran off. And then uh, my favorite pair of pants. <laughs> that reminds me, Chris, of a time I was in Chicago for the weekend at a music festival, and I got really drunk that night before we we took off, and uh, ended up. God, this is way too old for this kind of behavior. It was in my thirties, sleeping in a in a in a or like in a uh, in a stairwell at a hotel some, for some reason, <laughs> and uh, woke up, realized, oh God, I got to get to the airport. Ran to my room, had to explain to my wife at the time where I had gone because she was mad at me because uh, I had slept in a stairwell. Uh, but it, through this whole process, like get get everything ready, go to the airport. Then I get but like getting into the cab, and I realize. I don't have shoes. I, had oh, lo I my lost God. my shoes sometime <laughs> in the night. And so I had to go to, to uh, the Chicago airport in socks. And I found out you can, you can travel uh, from Chicago to Austin uh, completely without shoes. And no, nobody will stop you. It was one of the grossest. I felt dirty. I felt stupid. I felt disgusting. I was embarrassed. I felt lame. I kept waiting for somebody to tell me I couldn't fly. 
and they, that they, sounds like a nightmare or a stress dream that yeah. you have. Like you're you're running late to the airport, getting there, and you're like, oh my god, I don't have shoes, and, yeah. and I forgot to do my homework. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and there's a test too. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but they, another thing where you find out like they don't care. No, they don't make you put the shoes back on after you take them off. You just they, <laughs> they don't care. You can you uh, just keep going. You can traverse the entire country wow. barefoot. Yeah, I mean, I guess there are some people who just like. You just seen people in grocery stores not wearing shoes. You're like, yeah. I guess the people just don't like shoes. Well, no, or just don't judge them. <laughs> they may have just gotten drunk in a stairwell. You know, and they may be just as, as, as perplexed do. as as you are about the lack of shoes. Well, um, I I think it's about about time we wrap up. Uh, but I would be remiss if I didn't mention that uh, Jeff and I have another podcast that we started here recently. Uh, called uh, Anma, A-N-M-A. It's the Anma <laughs> podcast. You can get it wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, as of the time of this recording, it's uh, still a relatively new, only a, only a handful of episodes are in the bag. Uh, but uh, if you enjoy uh, the banter between Jeff and I, I highly recommend you check it out. It's Anma podcast. What would you, how would you describe it as to, like for people who have no idea what it is? Like it's just... Like the ones in summary. It's uh, kind of a love letter to the city of Austin uh, and its transformation over the last 25 years. Like we said, Jeff and I have been here, known each other, and worked together for decades now. And uh, we've watched the city transform. And uh, it's a lot of old stories about things that have happened to us uh, over that period of time. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I think it started as that. In some ways, I think it's also a, a, becoming a love letter to uh, our friendship and the company that we created. And it's Chris. I, it's kind of just like a pure nostalgia podcast. It's just us think talking about the, telling old stories and about Austin and about our place in Austin and the company that we created in Austin and our friendship and. And just kind of reminiscing over a very eventful 20 years in this city. Yeah. And it doesn't, you don't need to live in Austin no. or, or you just, it, it's like stories like this, like yeah, fun, weird yeah, stories. Exactly. But uh, like I said, go check that out. But that is it for uh, this supplemental episode of Black Box Down. Uh, we'll be back next week with a new episode uh, of our regular series of episodes. Uh, but until then, we'll see you then. Until then, we'll see you then. That makes no sense. <laughs> Until then, oh, yeah. go listen, go uh, check out Anna, and then we'll see you. Anna, Anna. If you, you don't know what it means, neither do I, because Gus won't <laughs> tell me. Thanks for having me on, guys. <laughs> All right, thank you.